And um, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you guys time. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. I'm on on my end. Oh, there we are. Okay. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you giving the, giving the announcements there. And Aaron, thanks for leading us in worship, brother. It's uh, so good to worship together, uh, even though we're in our various locations in our homes. I'm looking forward to next week, by the way, because we are, for many of you, you're going to be here. We're going to be physically gathered starting next week in this location, uh, here where we normally gather at Echo, we're going to have indoor, outdoor service as we have had. Pray for good weather. Um, and uh, I just have been, uh, for weeks now, I've been eager for this upcoming Sunday, the following one. So uh, it's still good to know that you guys are listening in and that uh, through this technology, uh, we're able to continue to get the word of God out and continue to sort of virtually gather uh, and uh, so, uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to Echo Church. Uh, I'm Pastor JD, if you're just tuning in here. And uh, you guys already have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 6. This morning, we're going to be uh, doing a little detour from our normal... Uh, we're, we've been in the Gospel of John. We've been looking at uh, something called the I Am Statements of Jesus. We've been looking at Jesus' self-revelation. What does Jesus actually say about himself? What is the teaching that he gives surrounding that revelation. Um, but this morning, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, and this has been on the calendar for a while. I want to talk about something very practical for our church. I want to talk about something that's going to actually help us as a church, I think, go forward in the vision that Jesus has called us to. to, uh, called us to. Uh, and so uh, I want to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but I'd like to open up, us up in prayer before I get into what we're discussing uh, this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, we remind ourselves of that simple truth 
that Randy reminded us of and the simple truth that we sang about when Aaron was leading us in worship. And that is that we are sinners, though created originally as human beings, created to, to perfectly display your glory. Your creation was good. We as human beings fell. And in that fall, we separated ourselves from you eternally. There was no hope. There was nothing that we could do. There was no, no ladder that we could climb to get back to you. But you in your mercy sent your son, Jesus Christ, 2000 years ago, he came to this earth bodily and physically. He came into, into earth's, into space time, as we say, there was a date on the calendar that we can look back to and say he was here during that time. And he came and he died. And in that death, he died, as we say, vicariously for the, all of those who would put their trust in him, that they would be, in a sense, saved from their sins. Their sins would be on him. He would die. And then he rose again from the dead in triumphant glory. And that is the message of Christianity, God, that we have been tasked by you to get for to get out. And so, God, I help. I, I pray that you would help us in that mission of spreading that gospel far and wide, spreading it both locally and globally to the ends of the earth, Lord, because that is the mission that you have given us as individual Christians. And that is the mission that you've given us as a local gathering of believers to get that gospel out. And yet we live in a real world with real struggles and real problems. And there's real compassion that you've given us. So help us with the wisdom to know that we have a proclamation ministry of sharing the gospel. And we have a practical ministry of helping those who are in need, both inside and outside of the church. God, and how, how do we do that? That's something that you have, have, you have to give us wisdom to be able to do. And yet you've given us great wisdom in your word. And so I pray that as we open your word together, you give us ears to hear and to understand what it is that we are supposed to do as a church when it comes to the practical ministry of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start like this this morning. I want to ask a question. Have you ever noticed that there are problems that sometimes come with success? Okay, so we're used to talking about problems that usually come from failure, right? We think of problems that come in life because, ah, I didn't, I didn't make the goal. I didn't make the grade. I didn't do what I wanted to do. And so I've got problems in life because I didn't do it. I didn't make the team, right? I, I didn't get picked or I didn't get the promotion in my job or I didn't get the job that I wanted or the person that I wanted to date didn't want to date me. And then you say, I got problems, right? We, and, we, and we know that the, there are problems associated with what we might call failure. But have you considered, and I think it's less common to think of the problems that arise when there's success, the problems associated with you actually getting that dream job in the competitive company that you've been wanting for a long time, but now what? 
Now there's stress in your life. You've got to maintain. You've got to keep going. You've got to, you're in a competitive environment where you've got stress now every day of your life. There was, there was success, sure. You could, we could say that there's earthly success with getting that job, but now there's this, all this stress that comes on top of that. You were able to start a successful business, but now, now you're trying to balance being a, a, a faithful in the job and keeping the business afloat with all the stresses associated with that and being a husband and a father. And how do I make all that work? And now I, 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 got, I got problems because of the success of the business. Or maybe you come into a large amount of money. Some would say that's successful. You've got something, you've got something that you all of a sudden have that you didn't have before, but what happens? Now you feel that everyone around you starts to turn on you and they want a little slice of the pie. So you're starting to lose relationships in your life because all of a sudden you had more wealth than you had before. Problems associated with what we maybe say from an earthly perspective is success. There are problems that come. Now you would say, <laughs> Well, pastor, those are the kind of problems I want to have, right? That's, that's, those are, I'm okay with those problems. Bring those problems on. Okay, maybe, maybe, but they're still problems. They are still problems. Now, the church in Acts chapter 6, they would have what I would call a success problem, okay? This is a problem that has arisen because they have been successful. Again, earthly standard here, we're talking from a human level. They've been successful in the mission that they were called to do. You guys remember, for many of you that have read your Bibles and maybe read, read significant portions of it, remember that the church was given in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus commanded the disciples and he gave them a mission. He gave them a task to do. There were 11 of them. Jesus was just about to ascend into heaven and be gone from them bodily, and they were not going to see him again in, in, the, in, in his body. And he just before he goes, he says this to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that was their mission. That was what these 11 guys were called to do. The 12 disciples minus Judas, who had already betrayed Jesus and, and left him. And they found themselves now just after Jesus had commanded them going back to Jerusalem and praying for God to do what he was said he was going to do. Because not only did Jesus say that in Acts chapter one, Jesus also told them that when they go back to Jerusalem, they, he said, stay in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and he's going to enable you to do the mission that I've called you to do. So this is one thing we have to remember, Christians, that the mission Jesus called us to do is a Holy Spirit-empowered mission. And the disciples were there in Jerusalem waiting and praying and asking God to do the thing he said he was going to do, which is to bring the Holy Spirit and enable them to be able to go forth with this great mission of going to the nations and, and making disciples of all nations. So there they are in this room in Jerusalem in Acts chapter two, and they're praying. And as they're praying, all of a sudden a miracle took place. The Holy Spirit came into that place and the disciples 
and the, 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 the broad number of people that were around them began to speak in different languages. So they were speaking and people could hear them in whatever language that they, they spoke naturally. And it was an absolute miracle and people were shocked. And as they, it was happening publicly and as they were doing this, more and more and more people were coming in to hear and to see what is this thing that's going on? This is really strange. And tons of people began to gather. And Peter, one of those disciples, got up and preached the gospel, the very gospel that I prayed at the beginning of this sermon. He preached essentially a longer form of that gospel and thousands of people got saved. And this is Acts chapter two. In fact, in chapter two, verse 41, here's what it says. So those who received his word, that's Peter, as he was preaching, were baptized. And there were added that day about three thousand souls. Now scholars debate over how exactly how many that was. Some would say that scholars, um, some scholars would say that you only counted the heads of the men back then. So you only counted the men. So that would have meant that there were, there were even more, maybe another 3000 more than that. Um, but it didn't stop there even. It continued to grow. The Lord was doing his saving work every single day. If you look down a few verses later in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, here's what it says. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you have the initial 3,000 or so, and then day by day, and then there's more times where Peter gets up and preaches, and thousands more get saved on top of that. Success? Success, right? From a ministry standpoint, that's success. There are very few pastors or church planters that would say, eh, I, I wouldn't want to see that happen in our church, right? This is people's eternity being changed. And to be used by that as a, as a Christian and as a church, to be able to be used in that way is such a gift. It's such a joy. And it's part of what drives us as Christians to be faithful with the gospel because we just want to see people get saved. We want to see people go from death to life as the Bible talks about it. And it comes through this proclamation. It comes through these words that Peter was preaching and these words that I hope to preach every time I stand here from this pulpit or anybody who stands in this pulpit, we hope to proclaim these words and then pray that God would season those words and would bless that and would give grace upon your hearing of those words so that your eternity gets changed. And that's something we recognize. We don't, we don't cause that. But that's something we want to be used by God in order for that to happen. This is the mission of the church. This is what the church has been called to do. And so when it begins to happen, there's great joy. And man, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been wanting to see happen. But if we jump now to our text in Acts chapter 6, it seems that there are now difficulties. There are problems associated with the success of preaching the gospel and seeing thousands get saved. Let's look at Acts 6. But before we do, here's the main point. If you're taking notes, here's the main point. We're going to talk about deacons and deaconesses today, okay? Here's the main point. Deacons and deaconesses bring unity to the church by taking care of tangible needs 
allowing the church to stay on mission. Okay, so very nuts and bolts, nitty gritty. How does the church work today, right? That's what we're talking about today. Uh, Deacons and deaconesses bring unity to the church. That's a big, big, big thing happening here in our story. They bring unity to the church by taking care of tangible needs, allowing the church to stay on mission. So I hope what you're hearing there is there's a tension between the tangible needs of those around us and the mission of the church in the proclamation of the gospel. The church feels that tension and deacons and deaconesses are a blessing to the church because they're able to sort of bridge that tension. They're able to help the church in some amazing ways. Now, let me give a quick disclaimer before we jump into Acts chapter six. Um, We're going to be talking about a story that's happening in the early church. Okay. Uh, Are there differences between that early church and a 21st century local church like Echo Church? Yes, there are differences. For instance, the apostles that that were leading the early church, this church in Jerusalem that just sprung up, thousands of people, the apostles are not the same as elders in a local church. Okay. Let me give you that disclaimer. However, I'm going to be making some general similarities in the way the apostles are sort of shown in the, in the early church and what elders do in a local church today or at any point in 2000 years of church history. So there's some similarities. They're not the same. Okay. That's the disclaimer. Other disclaimer, seven men are going to be chosen in this story. Okay. Um, they're, they're not ever called deacons. However, the, what the role that they play and what they do is very similar to sort of the way, we've, the way we understand the formal role of deacons to be today. So is, is it the, are the seven men that are chosen exactly the same as a deacon today in a local church? Not exactly. But there are similarities between the seven men and a deacon and what a deacon would do today. And so what I'm trying to do is draw connections and similarities. And I don't want you to think, oh, um, you know, Pastor JD, because he's an elder at, at Echo Church, he's also an apostle. No, that's, that's a totally different role. An elder of a local church and the apostles that existed 2,000 years ago that had seen the risen Jesus bodily, totally different. Okay, so I just want you guys to understand that. That's the disclaimer. Um, I want to draw some parallels between what happened then and where what I think where we're supposed to go as a church today. All right, Acts chapter six, verse one. If you guys are there, let's look. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Notice that Acts 6 is continuing now at the beginning of Acts 6, verse 1, to make reference to the growth of the church. Notice that the the very first words right there, right on the front of it, as the disciples continued increasing because the church just continues to grow. So church growth is a big part of the background of this story. And it's very clear that the growth of the church has a problem attached to it. What is the problem? What's going on here with the Hellenists and the Hebrews 
and feeling neglected, their widows feeling neglected. What's happening? Well, the text tells us that the Hellenists didn't feel as though their widows were getting adequate care by the church. Okay. Widows, by the way, were a group of people. Obviously, you've, it, it would be a, a woman who has lost her husband and realized the first century context for a minute. You, you, did, you didn't just go out and get a job. Okay. As, as a, as a woman who lost her husband at that point, that was completely, you know, called it a, uh, uh, call it a, a, a culture that was, that was male biased. Sure. We can talk about that. However, in that culture, in the general Greek culture of that time, you couldn't just go out and say, Hey, I want to go work. So your husband died and you were without a source of income as a woman. And so these were special this is a special group of people that the church sort of takes on the responsibility of caring for. Now, the Hellenists didn't feel that their widows were being taken care of. The Hellenists, who were those? Who, who, were, who is that group of people? It's usually a term that refers to Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So, so understand, these are Jews, but they only speak Greek, and it probably is because they're not from around here. Okay, this is taking place in Jerusalem, and they were not from Jerusalem. Remember that one of the reasons that there are so many people gathering to hear the, 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 the apostles and to hear Peter preach is because there was a major uh, event going on. It was a feast day called Pentecost, and there were, there were thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people from all over the other countries who were Jewish, who came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And most likely they stayed after they got saved because where are you going to go? If you're a brand new Christian and you're going to go back to your home country, there is no church there for you. And not everybody was feeling like that missionary. You know, maybe some of us know those missionaries that just go to a brand new place for the first time and they preach the gospel there and churches spring up and things like that. Not every, not every Christian is feeling like they're ready to go back and be that pioneering missionary to just go and bring the gospel to a new place. They need care. They need discipleship. They need a gathering of believers around them. And so they're like, we're not going home. We're staying here. And so many of them are not from around here. If here is Jerusalem, they weren't from around here. They don't speak the same language as everybody else. They speak Greek, which everybody pretty much spoke. But they're being contrasted with a group called the Hebrews. Now the Hebrews speak Hebrew. So it makes them Hebrews. And they speak Aramaic. And they speak the language of the Bible. And they know this because they've been to the best schools, right? They've been to the Jewish schools that taught Hebrew. They taught the Old Testament. They taught all of the things that, that and, and, they're, and they're very knowledgeable about, you know, how things go. And to use today's language, they're the majority culture. This is, these are the Jews that live here. They live around Jerusalem, and, and in living around the J Jerusalem, they know the culture. They're, they're the in crowd. They're the group that's got it all together. The Hellenists were the outsiders. They were the minority culture. Now, today we're, we're used to thinking in terms of racism, right? Race, racial differences between people that oftentimes cause division. But understand that in this particular context, they probably looked exactly the same. Color of skin, uh, uh, bodily features, you know, 
generally the same. However, it was linguistic differences, differences in speaking language, differences in ethnicity, differences in culture. And these things were enough to cause some pretty major divisions to take place between those who lived in that area and those who were coming into that area and now going, we need a church, we're here to stay for a little while, and then all of a sudden there's division. Now, when division happens within a church, it oftentimes will sit under the surface for a little while, won't it? It'll sit under the surface and you won't always time, it's not easy to pinpoint that the division is there until there's an event that sort of causes a flashpoint of division. And when that event takes place, it's like all the division that's been sitting underneath the surface, all the murmuring that's been going back and forth between people, all of a sudden it comes and it's like, whoa, where did this come from, right? Well, that's what's happening here. You see that there are people, there are widows that are not being cared for. And all of a sudden the Hellenists are speaking up saying, you're not caring for us. And probably what's behind there is you're not treating us equally. You are not caring for our, you are selecting the widows that you want to care for. And it happens to be the Hebrew widows and the Hellenist widows are not being cared for. So you can see the division that's happening here in the church. Um, number, num point number one, if you're taking notes, tensions arose because of cultural differences among people within the same church. Okay, so this is something that happens today. It happens all over churches today. Can it happen at Echo Church? Sure, of course it can happen at Echo Church. Does it happen at churches where we take a special joy and even a, a pride, I'll put that in quotes, in being a church that is multi-ethnic and different from one another, and yet we see that as being a proclamation of the gospel and of the glory of God when people who are different get together and come together? Yes, but is that a place, is that a church where tensions can arise? Absolutely. That's the place where tensions are going to arise the most because that's a church where the individuals within that church are most different from one another. So tensions arose here in this church because of cultural differences among people within the same church. And as I said, they erupted in a flashpoint. So what did they do? What do they do about this problem? Let's continue to look in Acts chapter six, verses two through four. And the 12, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now let's notice a few things here. And then I want to come to some conclusions. Notice that the apostles saw that this was a problem. Okay, that, don't lose that. The apostles saw the problem. They didn't ignore it. Oh, so easy to ignore problems that we see in our culture, problems that we see in our church to just sort of say, 
ah, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to not think about that. Maybe if I ignore it, it will go away. That's not what the apostles did. They saw the problem. They saw that there was a need and they acted. But, but here's the other side of the equation. Notice that the apostles didn't cease doing what Jesus had called them to do. I used to think as I read this text that the apostles were kind of taking the easy way out. Does anybody feel like, like that? It's like, Hey, you know what? You're th- there's some hard work that needs to be done. Like serving people is a very difficult job. I watch, I watch my wife uh, just serve our children food. And mealtime is a, is a stressful time around the head of my home. And I watch my wife just all of the work. And, I, and, and usually I'm there to help, but a lot of times it's on her. And I'll, the work that goes into just getting three children fed and they're hungry and they're, they're, they're crying. And it's just not a, it's not a happy time in the head of my home, just, just, just in all honesty. And, that, and it's just because, you know, you've got, you've got hunger and, and complaint meeting a lot of work to get food on the table, right? And I always thought that the apostles, it's like, oh, you want to pray. You want to pray and you want to preach. Those are the cool things, right? That's the things that, those are, you want to do the cool things and you want to let somebody else do the hard work, right? Well, here's, here's what I've seen from scripture. And here's what I, I want to point out. I want to point out to you. I want to remind you that these are the same apostles that in Matthew 28 stood before Jesus and heard from Jesus, from his lips, the mission that they were supposed to fulfill. And it was not, hear me on this, hear me. It was not a mission of serving the poor. Okay. Now I know some of you are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a big part of the gospel. I know. Hold on, hold on. It was not first and foremost, a mission to serve the poor. In fact, Jesus said, the poor you're always going to have with you. Okay. So, so when, when, when we think as a church, oh man, we got to solve the poverty problem. Oh, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's always going to be there. But that's the, the mission of the church is not specifically to help those who are in need physically. Okay. The first mission of the church is to make disciples. Okay. So church, we got to hear that first. We got to hear, go back to Matthew 28, read it for yourself. If you need to, Jesus tells them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's the mission of the church. That's it. Okay. Now, is there a part to play as we're going to talk about in a second for serving tables, for caring for the needs? Yes. Yes. But don't miss that the Bible has just told us that the main mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Okay. What are the apostles doing then? They're not letting themselves get caught up in what we call mission drift. Mission drift is when you've been given a mission. It's very clear. The task is very clear. And then later on, it's like, ah, we don't really need to do that. Let's do something different. They're not getting caught up in that. They're keeping their eyes on the main idea, the main thing that Jesus has called them to do. The mission that Jesus has given us has never changed. We know that there will always be needs both within and outside of 
the church. But what the church can't do is give up its original mission from Jesus. We can't do that. But that's, that's a temptation, isn't it? That's a temptation. Question is, has the church ever done that in the past? Have we ever had the church or a local church lose its mission and lose its way, and especially in the realm of going and caring for the needs of the world, I, I, I might say the earthly needs of the world rather than the, the deepest and most eternal and spiritual needs of the world. Has that ever happened? And the answer is, yes, it has. Yes, it has. In the early 20th century, there was a movement called the social gospel movement. Okay. In the late 19th century, it started, but it really picked up steam in like the 1910s, 1920s. And essentially the idea of the social gospel movement was that we cannot claim to preach the true gospel when we ignore poverty and social issues, both in our churches and around us. Now, just think about that statement for a minute. We, there's nothing, is there anything wrong with that statement? We can't we can't claim we're preaching the true gospel if we aren't caring for the needs. Isn't that James? Like, isn't that, isn't the book of James? Go read the book of James and you'll see a number of places where he's saying, look, you got to actually back this up with action. You can't just proclaim, right? You got to actually help people, right? And that's how it started. It started with this like, hey, we, we got to care for, we got to use our hands in addition to our mouths to proclaim the gospel. However, Fairly quickly within that movement, the proclamation of the gospel was put, was moved to the periphery onto the outside and eventually was done away with completely. And what, what began as the, uh, uh, maybe a good idea in the social gospel movement became what we see today in what we would call liberal churches. Liberal churches are churches that have basically taken the gospel of Jesus Christ out and they have become a social program, a social welfare program. Let's care for the physical needs of people, but we do not believe the gospel. We don't proclaim the gospel. We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. We don't believe that it's truly about saving humanity from their sins, proclaiming the gospel that will save you from your sins. It's ultimately about what care can we give you until the end, until you die. And that's how churches today became that way. If you see a liberal church today that believes that, most likely their denomination or their group of churches was part of the social gospel movement in the early 20th century. It was a major, major historical event within the church. So churches in the past have lost their way. Now, what happened as a result of these social gospel movement churches is that there became another group of churches that rose up. And these churches primarily saw themselves as opposed to the social gospel movement churches. And they became what, what I'm just calling proclamationist churches. What's a, what's a proclamationist church? A proclamationist church says, we're not going to do anything for the poor. We're not going to do anything to help people. Our entire job, all we're going to do as a church is preach the gospel. In fact, we're opposed to any actual compassion or help to the world around us. We're opposed to it. We think that's wrong because that smells like the social gospel movement. So we want nothing to do with it. And so, of course, as oftentimes happens in the church, you get these two 
polarizing you know, uh, groups, right? We only, what, what eventually became, we only care for the compassionate needs of the poor. We don't care for the compassionate needs of the poor at all. Is that, is that where we are? Is that what we're called to be as a church? Are we called to be either a social gospel movement or proclamationist church? And I want to suggest that what happened here in Acts was neither social gospel movement, nor was it the proclamationists at work here. What did they do? What happened? They wisely found as a church, the biblical center of how prayer and proclamation of gospel and making disciples can be present, like the apostles and what they were doing, alongside real, tangible care for people who are in need. Those can exist side by side in the church. How do we know? We see it in the early church in the book of Acts chapter six. Because the elders get to continue to fulfill the calling that Jesus explicitly gave to the church and deacons now, deacons, which I'm calling these six men that we're going to see in a minute, or these seven men, the deacons get to use their gifts to see that there is care and unity in the church and that the church is reaching out into its community with love and care. Okay, so you've got different offices now doing different things within the church. Here's point number two, if you're taking notes. The apostles avoided false extremes by raising up deacons who would serve the needs of the people. So they avoided false extremes by raising up deacons who would serve the needs of the people. Let's notice a few more things in our text. Notice that the apostles, the authoritative apostles, the guys that have seen Jesus uh, risen, the guys that have talked with him and heard Jesus give them the mission of the church, the leaders, Notice that they summoned the entire church. Did you guys notice that? That's what I think full number of disciples means. You guys see it there in, in, uh, in Acts chapter six, the 12, verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. They got the whole church together. So it's a church-wide decision. And here's what they tell the church to do. Acts chapter six, verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So notice something here. The church is to decide on who the men are, but the apostles appoint the men to their job. Okay, the church decides on who the men are, the apostles appoint the men. Now, remember, I'm arguing that the apostles are similar to elders in a local church. Not exactly the same, similar, okay? And now, so here's point number three. Deacons served under the apostles, but were chosen by the congregation. So notice again, the apostles are appointing the deacons to their duty, but the congregation is choosing the deacons to do their duty. All right. So you see this given this take between the congregation as a whole and then the apostles who I'm saying are like elders. All right. Acts chapter six, verses five and six. Let's continue. 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. First, consider that these men could not possibly do the job of caring for all these people on their own. Okay, so you've got probably uh, my best guess from just doing a little bit of study, you probably had 500, maybe more Hellenist widows in the church at that time. Okay, just a broad number, probably 500 of them. And you got seven guys that are that are going to serve 500 people regularly, care for their regular needs. That's not happening by themselves. That's not something that they can do on their own. So these men are leaders. Notice now they're leaders now of teams of people who are helping to do this ministry. These men were meant to lead ministries, not to just be the ones actually doing the work, but to actually lead teams of people in doing the work. So that's something to notice. Second of all, listen to the descriptions of some of these men. Stephen, for instance, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And even, be, be, uh, even before that, what did the apostles say that the crowd was supposed to pick? Back in verse three, men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now, assuming that the church did their job right, and they actually picked men who were full of the spirit and of wisdom, then that's what these men are. They're described as full of the spirit. So we're tempted to think, well, you know, these guys are not the elders, right? These guys are not, this is, their job is to serve tables, right? Do they need, do they need to be highly qualified from a spiritual standpoint? And if you thought that you'd be wrong. Look at what the text is saying. These descriptions are one thing. But what happens in the next story? Right after Acts chapter six, what happens? The next section in Acts shows what a stud Stephen is, right? This guy is a spiritual giant. This guy is is about to be stoned for his faith. And instead he just like turns it back and just preaches truth at the religious leaders that are about to stone him before they kill him. I mean, the guy is, is, he is just a, a spiritual giant. And then- What do we see right after that? We see Philip, who's Philip. Philip, what we call later in the church, we call him Philip the evangelist. Why? Because he's just preaching the gospel to absolutely everybody. So you got Stephen and you've got Philip who are a part of that group. These guys are like the Navy SEALs of the Christian church. This is like the group of guys that gets the job done. Okay. Now, that's going to lead us to the, the last thing I want to talk about. What do, if, we're, if we're seeing this now at Echo Church, and I'm going to talk about us in a minute, but I want to read for you 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. I want to read for you what deacons are supposed to be in the church and how we're supposed to pick deacons. Look at this. Verse 8, chapter, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons likewise, listen to this, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons 
If they prove themselves blameless, their wives, now I read women, the women, instead of their wives, the women deacons, but we can talk about that in just a sec, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Deacons, here's point number four, if you're taking notes. Deacons are men and women who have demonstrated an ability to lead and serve with Christ-likeness. They are to be scrupulously chosen because they are given large responsibility in the church. Now, let me hit on the men versus men and women whole thing. In the Greek, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, it is indistinguishable whether those Greek words mean their wives or whether those Greek words mean the women, as in the women of the deacons, the women deacons, okay? Second of all, I believe we see in the, if you just look at the, in the rest of scripture, if you do a word, a, a Greek word study for the word diakonos or diakone, which would be the, the female version of de- deacon, women are called deacons in the church, okay? So there are women serving in, I believe, the role of deacons. Now, what's the other side of that argument? that it's, it's not calling them deacons, it's calling them servants. Because by the way, the word deacon in the Greek, it just means servant. So is this confusing? Yes. Is it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to figure out whether the Bible is saying that was something that men primarily did in this role of deacon or whether it was a men and women in the role of deacon? Yes, friends, it's one of those things in the Bible that I don't believe there is a clear answer on. Okay, I lean in the direction of both men and women can be deacons, but I don't, I cannot tell you with definitiveness what the answer is and nor I think can any Bible scholar or any commentator or anybody say with definitiveness what the answer is there. Okay, so the Greek is a little bit ambiguous and I lean in the direction of saying, yes, we can have both men and women serve as deacons, which is different if you're joining us and you're, you're not part of Echo, which is different from elders. Elders are to be men in the church, but women can be both deacons, uh, women can be deacons, both men and women can be deacons. So let's conclude with some thoughts here. What, do we, what are we going to do? How do we draw this out and understand what we're going to do as a church, Echo Church? Um, no, let's remind ourselves of these four points. Number one, tensions arose because of the cultural differences among people within the same church. Okay, so can we see those tensions happen today? Absolutely. Number two, the apostles avoided false extremes by raising up deacons who would serve the needs of the people. So the apostles could continue in the general mission of the church and they could say, deacons, help um, with both proclamation and use of your hands, help in this particular need that arose. Number three, deacons served under the apostles, but were chosen by the congregation, okay? And then number four, deacons were men and women, that's my argument, who demonstrated an ability to lead and serve with Christ-likeness. They were to be scrupulously chosen because they were given large responsibility in the church. 
So I want to reflect for a minute what we've seen in the text. And I want to talk about how now we can have deacons, which are going to really, really help Echo Church maintain unity as we see that there are needs that arise in the church. And there's also a mission that we've been called to, to proclaim and to share and to spread the gospel and to make disciples. Um, So let's talk about a couple of things here specifically for Echo. Here at Echo Church, we want to have ministry specific deacons and deaconesses who serve under the elders. What do I mean by ministry specific? I mean that we don't just appoint deacons and deaconesses and say, hey, you're a deacon. Uh, great. You get to sit on this group of people and you're going to be just a deacon for you know this number of years. We're not necessarily giving you anything to do. We're just telling you, hey, you're, you're a deacon. That's not what we're doing uh, at Echo. What we're going to do is we're going to see the need arise first, similar to Acts, right? Similar to how it happened in Acts. We're going to see a need arise. And then we're going to say together as a church, you know what would be wise? If we had a deacon in charge of that, okay? So we're going we're gonna to see deacons as filling specific roles. And we're also going to see deacons as underneath the general authority and leadership of the elders, okay? So deacons, uh, the elder board, uh, the, the, the ultimate group of elders will have authority over that. But at the same time, the deacons will have authority in their particular area of ministry under, under the elders, Okay, so um, we're going to see ministry-specific deacons rise up at some point in our church. They don't meet as a board of deacons. Okay, this is not like some of you have been to churches where you've got the deacon board and that deacon board meets. Okay, that's what elders do. Okay, so um, I don't believe that deacons just meet as a group of, of deacons. They, re- they, they answer to the elders and the elders meet together as a board. Okay, so each of them is directly answerable to the elder board. They help to bring unity in the church by meeting practical needs. So we're looking as a church for where are the practical needs that need to be met, both inside the church and outside the church. What are the needs of our community that need to be met that we've just not gotten to, that the, the elders have not put enough time into? And can I just say, my, with my own limitations, I've not put my mind on the needs enough, but some of you care deeply about the needs of our community. And you have a, there's a giftedness in some of you to be, just have that, that helps and that servant mindedness to say, we got to help out there. That's what we're going to do is we're going to get on the same page and say, we don't all have the same gifts, but man, if we can raise a deacon up to start leading a team to helping in that particular area outside of our church or inside of our church, man, what a blessing that would be for our church to have raised up somebody that can really take that on and, and really uh, put their full effort into serving in that particular area. Uh, um, Oftentimes they lead larger teams, okay? So just like we saw those seven guys were not gonna feed 500 widows, they were most likely gonna lead larger teams of volunteers. Um, But sometimes they serve as a team of one. So it's not a specific thing. It's gotta be this and you've gotta be leading this number of people. It's just that sometimes deacons have a particular role that they're gonna meet themselves. And sometimes deacons serve as sort of leaders of teams and it, it, will, it will be varied based upon the need. Deacons and deaconesses are a gift to the church. And the church will often be what I call off balance without them, okay? So we will tend to be as a church, 
either overly on the side of just caring about proclamation of the gospel and not seeing the needs of our community and our church, or we will swing over to the side of just seeing the needs of our community and our church and not proclaiming and not putting all the effort into the proclamation of the gospel that we need to have. Deacons give us balance. And when I say deacons, I mean deacons and deaconesses. It's just a mouthful to say that. So um, let's finish by just looking at what our bylaws state about deacons and deaconesses. Here's section six of our church bylaws. The office of deacon is described in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 and Acts 6, 1 through 7. The church shall recognize in accordance with the constitutional provisions of on elections, men and women, who are giving up of themselves in service to the church and who possess particular gifts of service. These members shall be received as gifts of Christ to his church and set apart as deacons and deaconesses. They shall be elected to one term lasting for a maximum of three years and may only be elected to another term after one year. Why do we do that? To give them rest, to give them a year to just rest and have a sort of a sabbatical before they go back to serving. Deacons and deacons attend to the accommodations for public work and support those able to help others and those with gifts of administration. The deacons and deaconesses shall receive, hold, and disperse a fund for benevolence. So we have in our bylaws that our benevolence fund, which is for our members, run by a deacon or a deaconess. Okay, so um, uh, reporting on its use to the elders at their request and reporting to the church, it's total receipts and total disbursements only the deacons and deaconesses with the agreement of the elders may establish unpaid administrative positions or committees of members to assist them in fulfilling their responsibilities in the church. Here's the last thing I want to say. If we can establish deacons and deaconesses at echo church, we will go a long way towards becoming a healthy church. And that's the goal, that we stick with our mission. What is that mission? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're listening to me and you're not a part of Echo, and maybe you, you're not even a Christian, you're not somebody who's, who's, uh, who's put their trust into Jesus Christ, maybe you're seeing a bunch of business stuff happening right now. Let me speak to you directly for a minute. Why do we care so much about getting it right on how the church does business? It's because We've been given a mission, as I said in this sermon, we've been given a mission from Jesus Christ. And it's a mission, it's a mission that he wants the gospel proclaimed to the ends of the earth because it's that important, friend. The gospel is so important that we don't want to lose it either by becoming just proclamationists where we, we just simply say, well, all I got to do is say, say words to you and I don't need to care about anybody's needs but at the same time, not losing that through mission drift and coming to the place where we now all of a sudden are, are just caring for people's needs and we're losing the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you're hearing me and you've not put your trust in Christ, recognize that his, this mission of proclamation that we've been given is an, is an act of love toward you right now that we would proclaim the only way under heaven and earth to be saved, which is through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would consider that, that as we figure out our business as a church, we have that as our top priority because that message is so important. It's eternally important that we get that message right. So I hope you'll hear me.
And I hope you will respond to this gospel that we want to be, we want to be going forth with, but here also that we don't want to be a church that simply uses our words and ignores the needs of the people around us. And so uh, I realize it's a different sermon for a lot of you that are used to hearing me preach. Uh, this is a business sermon. This is a sermon where we talk about the business of the church. And so thanks for, thanks for uh, hearing me out on this and hearing out the word of God in this particular area. And I'm praying that we can be a church that a hundred years from now, Echo Church still exists because we're healthy and we're balanced and we understand how to use the unique gifts of our church, of our people in our church in order to go forward uh, not just in one particular area to the, to the exclusion of everything else, but we go forward in exactly how the Lord has called us to go forward as a church, using our gifts, proclaiming the gospel, caring for the needs of those who are inside and outside the church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask now that you would give us holy and biblical balance as a church. I, I, I can come before you and confess that I am imbalanced, but I believe that every one of my friends here, every one of my fellow members here at Echo Church is imbalanced unless we have the rest of us in this church to balance us out. And so you've given a unique balance here at Echo Church. You've given unique gifts, some who have a passionate concern for certain things and some who have a, a passionate concern for other things. And I pray, Lord, we would not be opposed to each other because of that, but rather we would learn how to, how to enjoy the fact that we have balance as a church because we have different gifts. I pray for future deacons and deaconesses in our church. I pray God that you would raise them up and help us to do the work, the tangible work of earthly care while we are doing the proclamation work of the gospel. So God help us to do both and to do it well. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.